0: Good morning, church. So if you would, you could be opening up to Acts chapter 11. It's where we will be journeying forward in our series through Acts. It's wonderful to see the Johnson family here with us. Y'all can clap for them. It's It's good to see them. If you haven't hugged on them yet, in from North Africa, if you ever wondered... When you ask that question, God, would you ever send me to Africa? For them, yes. That's why I never prayed that prayer, ever. I've never asked the Lord that. <laughs> oh, Because it's, no. But no, I'm just so thankful. Um, we're going to be hearing from Denny and Angelina uh, in a few weeks, just an update on what the Lord's doing in them. Uh, But I celebrate and praise that they have been working with a new believer, that the Lord has used them to welcome into the kingdom. They got to baptize him in the Atlantic Ocean, and just awesome, huh? Let's give God a praise on that. (laughs) That's, man, but I was before the Lord saying, Lord, thank you that it wasn't... (laughs) A, 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 um, a William Carey type testimony where it took seven years for the first convert so Lord thank you for being gracious <laughs> because it's a, it's a desert place uh, physically but most importantly spiritually and so it's, it's wonderful to, to experience the living waters that you, when you interact with this family you interact with the living waters of God himself and that's being brought to North Africa we're, we're celebrating alright Acts chapter 11, verse 19. I'm going to look through this last section of the chapter going through verse 30. So if you would follow as I read. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Holy Spirit, would you please um, stir up faith in us? as we examine your word, for that is the purpose of the word and the preaching of your word. So may you accomplish your work as we experience the hand of the Lord upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Does God have hands? You ask a child that, they're probably, of course, he's got a hand. But does he? Here's a theological term for you. anthropomorph. easy for me to say. Anthropomorphism. Two words in the Greek, anthropos, man, morph, morphe, change form. It's human form. In the scriptures, God reveals himself in ways that coincide with our human experiences to help us understand him. God doesn't have literal hands, He doesn't have literal ears. He doesn't have a real nose. He doesn't have a real mouth. But he hears and he speaks. The Old Testament says he smells the incense. He smells our praise and aroma, a fragrant aroma before his throne. He f- touches Though he doesn't have these things like we have them, we say in the, in the scriptures, help us. God himself refers to his hands and his mouth. But he doesn't have those things. They're, they're to help us understand who he is. In scripture, quick scriptural lesson for us for the hand of the Lord that we see in scripture. The hand of the Lord does two things one, it pushes against pride in judgment. So when you think of the hand of the Lord, the first thing you think about is judgment. His hand goes forth in judgment. We see this in Egypt with the ten plagues. The hand of the Lord did that. We see his hand also coming against Israel, his own people, for their faithlessness. The hand of the Lord drove them to exile. hand of the Lord drove them into the wilderness. Now, the hand of the Lord pushes against, against pride. It also pushes the mission of God forward. So there's a hand of of God in judgment. There's also a hand of God for anointing and blessing for mission and victory in the Christian life. Kings and prophets were said to have the hand of the Lord upon them. David, Elijah, Elisha, Ezra, Ezekiel, John the Baptist, they were all said to have the hand of the Lord on them. So there was a blessing, there was a commissioning, there was an anointing that they walked with because God's hand was on them. Both categories give the understanding of how God advances his kingdom on the earth. You know that God advances his kingdom through his judgment because he identifies this is wrong, it's not me, I'm righteous, that's unrighteous. He judges the sinful and he blesses the faithful. The faithful come to understand that the blessing comes, we escape his judgment. Why? Because where did his hand go? On his son. His judgment went on Jesus, on the cross in our place. So then we could now experience and be recipients of his hand of blessing. So the hand of the Lord And that's why I uh, I draw this out in verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord accomplishes the mission of his glory. The mission of God's glory is Jesus' exaltation, his preeminence, for him to be first in everything. So we, we see the hand of the Lord in the title of this message, the hand of the Lord on the witness of the church because there's some... There's some key factors going on in here. Uh, Luke, who is is writing this uh, book of Scripture, and he's writing it just as a history of what's going on, but in this he's locating, we learn of this church now in Antioch. Antioch is going to become, we see this in chapter 13, it becomes the center of the, uh, the Christian movement on the earth from Jerusalem. It was transitioned a bit to Antioch. There were roads coming in from everywhere. Uh, into Antioch so it really was a strategic place and I don't, the Lord just does things by way of sometimes it just makes a lot of sense the way lo- the Lord does it. But the first thing that we see is that God God's hand advances the message, the message of the gospel. There was an obedience of the people, the disciples to preach the gospel everywhere. Look, they are scattered from Stephen's persecution. They travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. Speaking the word They were speaking the word. That's the thing to focus on. To no one except Jews, though, they still thought this is a, a Jewish way to think Jesus is the Messiah. He is Jewish, and he has come to save the Jews. That's how God has brought the Messiah, the anointed one. But, verse 20, there were some of them. They spoke to Greeks as well. So there's an obedience to preach the gospel everywhere. There's also a sensitivity to preach the gospel to everyone. We learned of men of Cyprus and Cyrene. No names are attached to these men. But yet, eternal glory is attached to their work. Isn't that amazing? No names. We don't know. Just some men. Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Maybe they were part of the crew that was preaching the gospel to the Jews, but then realized there's some other ones. There's other people out there. There's a sensitivity of the Spirit to recognize and see others like God sees them. Remember when Jesus looked upon the multitudes and saw them as sheep without a shepherd? Perhaps they, they have that in mind as they're looking outward as well. But the Spirit, they, they had a sensitivity of the Spirit's leading in obedience to Jesus' commission to go to everyone. And they went to the Hellenists. It's probably, it's interesting how uh, they said this, because Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, but since they went to no one except the Jews first, these guys went to others. They probably just went to the Gentiles. They went to the Greek-speaking Gentiles. They went to not just, I mean, not just the Hellenists, maybe it started with them, but it the mission goes forward. The message goes forward. And what is happening here? They're preaching the Lord Jesus in verse twenty-one, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This, this is uh, digging into this, shows uh, a, a, a wonderful treasure in Scripture and in our salvation. Our, our the, the truth is that God saves us from hell. Remember what hell is? His judgment on sin. So in a very real sense, and Romans chapter, chapter 5 lets us know this, God saves us from himself. He doesn't save us from Satan, though that happens. He doesn't, he doesn't only save us from ourselves. God saves us from himself. Look at Romans 5. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Jesus saves us, not from a father who is angry and needs to be placated, needs to be... Just calm down, Dad. Jesus doesn't say that to the father. That, that we have this weird picture that, that God in the Old Testament is just this ogre who is always angry with his people. No, you find some glorious loving, tender truths about God in the Old Testament. Spoken through the prophets. Would you just come back to me, he says to his people. I have been a husband to you, but you are a wayward bride. Come back to me. There's restoration, a plan of restoration all the way from Genesis that God is executing. Now, there's a hand of judgment as well. He pushes against the pride of people to highlight his own glory, to highlight his righteousness, but there's also a beautiful hand of blessing. David says in Psalm 139, I think it is, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. That's a tenderness of blessing that God is doing. But Jesus, according to God's plan, is saving us from God. Saving us from God's wrath, and what we see is the hand of the Lord is going out, but the God's hand it reaches out. What's what? It? In essence, it's reaching out for people and bringing them to Himself. And when He brings people to Himself, He captures them within the church. But God saves us in order to bless us. That's why He saves us. We are blessed by His forgiveness. We are blessed by reconciliation. What has been broken in our relationship now has been put back together. And now we live and exist in God's favor as his people. Now, his favor doesn't usually translate into, I get everything that I want. We have to learn God's favor. But we know that his favor is his covering of righteousness and his hand of blessing that will always be on us. Psalm chapter 5. It says this, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. Oh, that's blessing. That those who love your name may exalt in you. Remember that exalt, different than exalt. We sang I exalt thee. We're lifting Jesus higher. Exalt, ULT, is about our experience and how we feel our pre- the, the presence of God with us and our enjoyment of it. Verse 12, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. It's a different type. There's a spreading of protection over, and there's a covering with favor as with a shield. That it, it, It's our, our front guard, but also our rear guard. See, do you see the blessing? Do you sense the blessing? God Oh, and, and I think Isaiah asked the question, is the arm of the Lord, or Jeremiah, I forget which one, is the arm of the Lord too short? No, he extends his arm. And he brings like Inspector Gadget arms <gasps> going out and he just brings everybody to himself. So God's hand advances his message and God's hand empowers the messenger. We read of Barnabas again. We're introduced to Barnabas in chapter 5. He's the one that sold some property. He comes in. His name is Joseph, but they call him Barnabas, son of encouragement. He's just an all-around swell guy that all of us would really want to be friends with. They send Barnabas to Antioch. Now, they, this men of Cyprus and Cyrene, we learn in chapter 5 also, the end of chapter 4 perhaps, uh, yeah, chapter 4, that we learn that Barnabas is also... From Cyprus. So, Diana, he's your people. I never pointed that out before. Diana's Diana's ancestors are from Cyprus, aren't they? Malta, sorry. Another one of those islands in the Mediterranean. (laughs) Perhaps he's going because he's Cyprian, so there's a practical connection that they see. Maybe he knew them. Maybe the island life, you know everybody. So, he comes from Jerusalem. And he wants to make sure that things are consistent with the gospel proclamation that has been revealed that they're talking about in Jerusalem. And what I love is that the report of this came, in verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. I love that phrase. Rather than, this gives the, the understanding that he's not coming to Antioch to try to investigate what's wrong. All right, let me just make sure. He's not, this isn't a cynical approach. It's not, it's not questioning. Oh, I don't know. This didn't come from Jerusalem. I'm not too sure. He's looking for the grace of God, and he finds it. And so he found much to rejoice over, and he was glad. He wasn't expecting things to go poorly. He was expecting them to go well, and he rejoiced in that. And then he does what Barnabas, son of encouragement, does. He exhorted them. He encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Exhortation is very easy when everyone is moving in the same direction. And it does sound like at this moment there's a grace upon the church in Antioch that they are all moving in the same direction. But he lets them know, be faithful with a steadfast purpose. So think about your life. Are you living with purpose? And what does that purpose reveal about your pursuit and how you are pursuing that? Is your purpose on God and Christ's exaltation alone? God, I just want you to be first. And then everything else, I want to be, I want to be signposts into and toward your exaltation. So that means we, we are disciples first. That is the purpose with which we live. We might do different things throughout the week, but all of us are disciples. And what all of us are doing that is the same is living Christ's life for others to see. That's what we do. That's our purpose. And that's what we find, because guess what? They're getting called, the, the place where they were first called Christians is in Antioch, literally, little Christs. They were seeing something in Antioch. There was a purpose that they were living with that wasn't themselves. And we, this was prayed and we sang about, it. we just live for Christ, not Not trying to get us to try to figure out or get God to get on our page. We just simply lay down our lives for the glory of Jesus so other people will see that. Our purpose really is to be disciples, to learn of Jesus and then image him, mirror him, reflect him with everybody that we come across. And we see God... God's hand upon the character of the messenger. One, we pointed out Barnabas was glad. I just, I enjoy pointing that out because it's a mark of Christianity. Remember, one of the reasons we know Jesus was a happy man is because kids ran up to him. Kids don't run up to curmudgeons. They avoid them, but they will run up to happy people. Jesus was a happy man. The kids ran up to him. But we also have this, verse 24, and it's quizzical, I think, that Luke would say this. I mean, we see this, but I think there's, it's, it's intentional. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, in my mind, where my mind goes is when Jesus tells the rich ruler, when the rich ruler comes up and says, hey, I know that you're a good teacher. What, what's my guarantee that I really am in the kingdom? Jesus, first off, confronts him and says, there is only one who is good, and it's the Father. Jesus didn't even let him call Jesus good. Jesus was good. By Jesus' definition, he was good. By this man's definition, he thought, the man thought that he was good because of his works of righteousness. Remember that story that Jesus draws out. He says, Jesus tells him, uh, he gives him the commandments that had to do with how he related to people. And the young man says, I've done all of those from my youth. I should be good. But Jesus said this, one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the man went away disheartened. Why? Because he possessed much. What did Jesus reveal? Your relationship with people you think is fine and you think that causes you to be good, but your relationship with God, the Father, is not good. He's reordering the man's definition of good. How do we know? Because his, the security that he found in his stuff and the significance he found from his stuff and the control he found from being a ruler over people, those were idols in his heart and he didn't want to give those to God. No, no, no I need those things for myself. So while his relationship with people was fine in his eyes, his relationship with God was wrong. So I think, Jesus, if you, you said that nobody is good except God alone, the Father alone, why, why do you let Luke say he was, Barnabas was a good man? Well, because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you have God in you. And when we trust Christ for salvation, the promise of Scripture, when we don't depend upon our works, but we trust that Jesus really did die for all of our sins and there's nothing left for us to pay, and we trust him you died in my place and so i give my life to you i lean upon you for all that you are the promise of scripture is that the holy spirit comes to live inside of us the same spirit that when god said let there be light it happened the same spirit resides in each one of a, each one of us As believers, can we capture that? So, if God is inside of us and only God is good, then there's a capacity for us to live out that goodness, not in order to attain salvation, but as as a thankful heart because we have received salvation. He was a good man. And we we find God using people to proclaim his message and the character of the messenger. We just make, can we just, this week, Lord, Can I be glad in you? Can I be good? By your definition. Let's let's see what the Lord does. As we continue through, we see a third point, that God's hand cultivates the message. So he's pushing the message forward. His hand is upon the messengers, and now he is cultivating the message. First, we see there's numerical growth. When... Uh, we see this a few different times. A great number, verse 21, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Then in uh, the end of verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church, taught a great many people. Oh, and the end of verse 24 as well, that's the third one. A great many people were added to the Lord. There is numerical growth when when faith is simply walked out. I don't think they were trying to, this is not, some weird church growth mechanism they're trying to put in place. They're simply loving Jesus and exalting him. And Jesus' promise was this, when I am exalted, I will draw all men to me. That's his promise. So our focus is to simply exalt Jesus, live for him, display his glory, and watch what he will do. But we want to be full of faith for that. And there's a, a second component I think that we learn from Isaiah that God cultivates the message in his people. Isaiah 37, 31 says, The surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And this is a cultivation verse. How does God work in us? He he works by, by getting downward growth to happen, rootedness, in order to bear fruit upward toward his glory. We see in Barnabas, who was just a great example for all of us, we see a downward growth, a cultivation that's happening because the man was humble. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. This first meant he left Antioch, the work there, He wasn't so so connected to the work. He didn't have a high estimation of himself that required him to be there for fear if he left, somebody else would take the credit. This is opposite. I need to bring somebody else into this process. I need to bring somebody else with me. Man, what an encouragement. But we have humility in the fact that Barnabas wanted to share the work of God with Saul. He wanted to share it. There was no protectionism. He simply wanted to share the work. That's how the message cultivates in our hearts, through humility. When we make way for God, when we recognize how he is all, and then we make way for him to be all in our lives. It's a quick little synopsis definition from Andrew Murray in his book, Humility, which has stuck with me for so long. Also, downward growth that we see, a rootedness, is with doctrine. They taught, well, one, uh, just to parse this out a little bit, when he had found him, he didn't know exactly where Saul was. This is uh, about eight to ten years after Saul's conversion. It's a long time. This apostle to the Gentiles, perhaps Barnabas knew that prophecy and I'm sure he did, and he said, no, this is the time, and the sensitivity of the spirit. Barnabas is displaying that sensitivity as well. He goes to get him. When he had found him, now I believe Paul Saul Paul, he is preaching the gospel in Tarsus, where he's from. He's preaching the gospel all over. I think he's going around, and I think there are converts coming to the Lord there as well. So he finds him. He brought him to Antioch. And then for a whole year, this is the doctrinal component, they taught they met with the church and taught a great many people. The essence of discipleship is to learn. And we never, we never really get to the bottom of things. You know, I, getting deep, discussing doctrine is really fun. But what happens, I find, you know, when, uh, when you try to swim to the bottom of a pool 10 feet, the pressure starts getting to you, and it's like, uh, I'm a little freaked out. And you got to come up for some air, you know what I'm talking about? Can y'all with me? Y'all never did that? Y'all got to dive for a torpedo soon at the bottom of the 10-foot pool. But doctrine is like that. When you dive down, you start talking about it, you think you have it, and then it's like you start losing your air and the pressure builds up. And you... All right, we got to back off a little bit because we just can't figure everything out. And God reserves glory for himself that way because if we could figure him out, we would just be the object of his, his hand against our pride if we thought we could figure him out. But doctrine is good. It's not something, it's not something uh, that we get in little sound bites. It's something we have to invest in and see cultivated in our hearts. So as we humble ourselves to say, God, you're first in everything, I want your, your work to be first. We want to study the truths and the promises of Scripture, and we want to discuss those. One of the reasons that we do small groups, we want to discuss the depths of these things and interact with them and say, well, I'm having this thought, and sometimes that thought, and when we share it, <laughs> it happens to me too often, I share the thought, I'm like, that doesn't sound right anymore. <laughs> it sounded right in my head, but as soon as I said it, eh, I don't think I believe that anymore. I don't agree with it, but that's good for us to be able to share and dialogue to just... But the whole purpose is to exalt Jesus and to see him all over the scriptures. So there's a downward growth, a rootedness, in order to bear fruit upward, an upward fruitfulness. And that's what we have because people are seeing the fruitfulness. They're seeing these Christians walking around, exhibiting such an extraordinary fruitfulness that the culture saw something supernatural. Remember, they didn't call them little Jesuses. They called them little Christ. This is a Gentile culture who didn't know the term Christ means anointed one. That was a Jewish term. But they're hearing them talk about this anointed one, and they're seeing something demonstrated with the lives of the anointed one that they call them little anointed ones. How beautiful is that? You know, most most denominations, most Christian movements through the centuries since Jesus have taken on their names from their adversaries. Protestants, adversaries. Anabaptists, adversaries gave that. Quakers, adversaries gave that term. So this, I I learned a really cool word this week studying uh, John Stott's commentary, the word derisory. Uh Use this today. It's It's a derivative of derision. And so the Antioch, Gent City was looking at the Christian community with derisory. So their term was a term of derisory. There, anthropomorphism, derisory. You are so smart today. But can we, oh Lord, can we be those people that would see your, others would see your glory so vividly that we would be able to honor the name Christian when it seems to have been lost in culture. Christian is, uh, most people out of the country, especially Muslim countries, they look at, because they, they think in terms of, of religion over culture and society, they think we're a Christian nation. They attach Christian to who we are and what we do as a nation, not as Being little Christs walking around displaying his love and his glory to others and his transformation. So may the name of Jesus be on our lips and his glory shine through us so that we can redeem the word Christian. In the last paragraph in verse 27 to 30, we see that God's hand moves messengers to mercy for his mercy. So we have this he's, God's moving the message and he's also doing something in the messengers. And there's this cooperation that's going as the messengers are being obedient and sensitive to the spirit. And here we learn of Agabus. What I love is that prophets, plural, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So Barnabas has already gone there, but now they're saying, hey, let's send some prophets there as well. And Agabus is one of those prophets. So there's already a manifesting of the Holy Spirit for the building of the church. Paul describes that to the the Corinthian church when he talks about the gifting of the Spirit. It's for the building up of the body. This is happening in Antioch. And then Agabus, he he prophesies that there's going to be a drought happening. We're, we read that it's in the days of Claudius, the emperor. But now what happens in the people is the main thing of that. The disciples. Something happened in the disciples to determine every, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Ju- Judea. When we receive mercy, part of the, the, the God response in us is to give mercy. Mercy. We have received mercy from God spiritually. And a way to see Jesus is to give that mercy practically. Now we give that mercy through, they want to support the church. They know the church in Jerusalem is going to be suffering, so they want to support the church. But we also know that mercy ministry extends beyond the church walls and goes out to serve a community in order for Jesus to be seen. But ultimately we see the, the hand of God is literally in the hands of men. They're giving a monetary gift. They're giving money. But it comes from a heart that says, God, we have received salvation from you. You who did not withhold your own son, but gave him for us all. We, we have received your mercy. We want to give your mercy. In this category, it was money, but other... God, there's always categories. We're going to have an announcement in a second about how we can give coats to foster kids and teens. That's what we want to do. Here, Barnabas and Saul from this point become key figures in God's hand advancing and building the gospel throughout the entire world. We see the spirit moving. We see God's hand moving. So our conclusion is this. God, may your hand of blessing be on us to go through us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much again. For the glory of your word, for the goodness of your word, we ask that we would exult in you. We would experience your presence so uniquely and, and oh, so intimately that our, our affections are hardwired to you. And Lord, we ask that the display of that would be within our relationships, immediately in our homes, in our church, but also extending outward. Our workplaces, our neighborhoods, when we're in contact with unbelievers, God, may they see Jesus in us. And may we have the joy of exalting Jesus together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Christian.
1: All right, church, we have a couple of announcements. The first one, less of an announcement, more of an invitation to continue worship. Uh, we worship this morning through prayer, through gathering, through singing, through the hearing and the receiving of the word. And another avenue in which we worship is uh, the giving of our finances. We worship a lot of things with time, with desires, passions of our heart, and often with our material things, our possessions, our finances. And if I can be honest... Last year, one of the things I worshipped was the New Orleans Pelicans. I went to quite a few games, bought some things. And it's not to say that we can't uh, enjoy things, even like basketball. But, yeah, the first and foremost thing that we should worship is the Lord. And would our finances be an example of that? And so if you would consider uh, giving, uh, there are three methods in which you can do that. There's a box in the back. Uh, in which you can drop something in, you can mail in a check, or the easiest way that you can do that is set up giving online. We have a couple of announcements uh, for you guys. First one is on Wednesday nights, starting last Wednesday, uh, at the Arrowheart Home, Pastor Jeff is leading us through a study on contentment. So if you are totally content in every area of life, which most people are not, then maybe you can skip this one, but there's something that you are not uh, finding contentment in. This could be great for you. Uh, two One Five Tribe Youth Community. If you are a youth, have a youth, know a youth, uh, we invite you on, from six to eight on Sunday night at the Howell's home to join in on the Ephesian study. I believe is where they're still at. Can I get a confirmation on that? No. Practices of Sabbath. We've moved on from Ephesian. So uh, would would you consider joining us in that? Uh, on on November nineteenth, we're having a Thanksgiving dinner at five thirty p.m. That is p.m. It is not a Thanksgiving breakfast. Uh, if you want to bring a dish and share one with Pastor Jeff before his sermon, you're welcome. But all of us will be here that evening. Uh, so would you consider bringing your favorite dish? It's going to be a potluck. So we'd hope that you would join us in that. And then, as Pastor Jeff alluded to, uh, we are joining in with another local ministry called James Samaritan, who supports foster, ch- foster children and foster families. Uh, this is a little bit of a short notice. so We're, we're asking for a, a quick call to action. Uh, but we are asking that by next Sunday... That you would arrive to the church with coats in hand. That is new coats for kids or youth to be able to support uh, those children in Louisiana who have winter for about two weeks, sadly. Uh, But it is needed. It is necessary. Would you please uh, support them in that? Now, lastly, as we typically end our our worship service, we do so with a benediction, which is just a blessing for the road. And so I will uh, read the Great Commission And when we arrive to the words on the screen, would you join me in that? Matthew 28, starting in verse 17, says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Church, would you have a blessed Sunday?